As we come to the end of our series, I really hope if you've been with us over these nine weeks, I hope you found it helpful. I hope you found it formative. I hope you found it to be a ministry towards you and helping you love the Lord Jesus Christ more. Someone in our gospel community really helpfully reflected this week that this book has helped them love Jesus more and also love their spouse more. And uh, that has been the goal all along, that we'd know something more about what it is to, to have uh, fruitful, uh, godly relationships with others. But also that we would see how the song is lifting us up and pointing us to see our relationship with Jesus. To see this, this great metaphor that the Bible uses of Christ being a faithful husband to his bride, the church. And so our hope has been that we would grow in our maturity and loving one another, but also, ultimately, we would grow in our love of Jesus. And when we started nine weeks ago, I mentioned that uh, the Song of Songs is, outside of the Psalms, the most preached and the most taught about book in the Old Testament for the early church fathers and the Puritans, and even some of the, the, the recent greats as well. Uh, They taught and studied and preached this book more than any other book in the Old Testament. Charles Spurgeon uh, preached 64 sermons on Song of Songs. We've done nine weeks, all right? So we've got off lightly. 64 weeks he did on the song. And he would say that he was only just tapping into the gold and the beauty of Christ that is in this book. And as I reflect on that and as I reflect on, on how these men and women loved this book, um, as we come to the end and as we finish up in chapter 8, I think I understand why. Um, this book is a rich treasure, a rich treasure of, of songs and poems that really uh, powerfully speak of the strength and the love that the Lord Jesus Christ has for his church. And it is written in a way that as we read and as we see Jesus in it, it cannot but stir our affections for for him. It cannot but help us see how lovely he is, how beautiful he is. Uh, Someone else uh, shared this week that as uh, they've been confronted with the love of Christ in this song, it's felt for them like their heart has been on fire. I love that. I think that's really helpful. And I've felt that as well at times as we've been confronted with the beauty of Christ and the depth of his love towards and unworthy people. It has felt like that at times, that my heart has been on fire. And I hope as well that as we've worked through this book that we've, we've demystified it a little bit as well. I spoke to lots of us who actually, we've never spent time in this book. We've been a little bit intimidated by it, maybe a bit embarrassed about stepping into it. And my real hope is that we've removed some of that, and particularly for, for our young people, I really hope, and don't forget our young ones upstairs, they've been working through Song of Song as well. And a great hope is that when you youngsters and when the the kids upstairs come to read in this song again, that you're not intimidated by it, that they're not embarrassed by it, but actually they feel comfortable stepping into it, knowing that they can mine it for gold, knowing that they could see something more of the love that Christ has for them. Folks, God's word is a a lamp and a light to our path. It is through his word that he trains us, he grows us and ultimately helps us to to be more like Jesus. 
And this book is no different. It's God's word to us. And so for the last time, for now, I'm hoping we'll come back to it at some point in years to come, but for the last time for now, I'm going to read to us from Song of Songs. I'm going to read all of chapter 8. And this is the bride speaking as we start this chapter. She says, Oh, that you were like a brother to me who nursed at my mother's breasts. If I found you outside, I would kiss you and none would despise me. I would lead you and bring you into the house of my mother, she who used to teach me. I would give you spiced wine to drink, the juice of my pomegranate. His left hand is under my head and his right hand embraces me. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, that you not stare up or awaken love until it pleases. Who is that coming up from the wilderness, leaning on her beloved? Under the apple tree I awakened you. There your mother was in labour with you. There she who bore you was in labour. Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm. For love is strong as death, jealousy is fierce as the grave. Its flashes are flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it. If a man offered for love all the wealth of his house, he would be utterly despised. Others, we have a little sister and she has no breasts. What should we do for our sister on the day when she is spoken for? If she is a wall, we will build on her a battlement of silver. But if she is a door, we will enclose her with boards of cedar. She, I was a wall and my breasts were like towers. Then I was in his eyes as one who finds peace. Solomon had a vineyard at Baal Haman. He let out the vineyard to keepers. Each one was to bring for its fruit a thousand pieces of silver. My vineyard, my very own, is before me. You, O Solomon, may have the thousand, and the keepers of the fruit, two hundred. He, O you who dwell in the gardens, with companions listening for your voice, let me hear it. She, make haste, my beloved. And be like a gazelle or a young stag on the mountains of spices. Let me pray for us again before we uh, work our way through this chapter. Lord Jesus, we recognise that these are your words. and We thank you that you desire to teach your people as we gather this afternoon. We know that your words are living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. That's what your word says, and so we... We stand on the promise that you will work in our hearts, that you will change us, that you will conform us more to your glorious likeness. And we need your help, so we ask that your Holy Spirit would lead us and guide us to truth. And Jesus, it's in your name that we pray. Amen. There is nothing stronger than the covenantal love of Christ. That is the, the great message that these last few words of this song are teaching us there is nothing stronger than the covenantal love of Christ when we talk about covenantal love we're talking about his promise to his people and we see that truth here most powerfully in the middle of this song in in verses six and seven and we're going to spend most of our time there this afternoon I'm not going to unpack all of the the detail in the the front part of the chapter and the the back end and if you want to talk about more maybe we take time in our gospel communities to do that most powerfully in this middle section we see that there there is nothing stronger than the covenantal love of Christ and we'll end up there but but I do just want to just 
just glance at these other parts of the song before we get there because there is some helpful wisdom for human relationships in the other part of chapter 8. If you look down at verse 1 to 4 there, you see the wife is talking and she's taking time to look back on her relationship. We've seen this movement through the song, haven't we, of, of uh, this uh, bride and husband preparing for marriage in their youth. And all of the energy and excitement building towards that day. And then we saw their, their wedding day and the celebration that that was. And then we saw just the, the difficulties that they engaged with in the midst of marriage. And then we saw them walking in just that, that deep sense of, of love last week. And now as we come to chapter 8, it seems, as you look at the language, it seems that this couple have, have reached a point in their marriage where they are older. They are older in age. And they are looking back. She's talking in the past tense. In verse 1 she says, you were like a brother. I would kiss you. In verse 2, I I would lead you. And what seems to be apparent in these first four verses here is that the physical intimacy which we've been given a window into over the last seven chapters, that physical intimacy has changed. She's reflecting back on those days. They are older at this point. And as we grow, hopefully this isn't a surprise, as we grow, our bodies change. Our desires change. And it's helpful to take notice of that within marriage. It's helpful to notice that our bodies, our desires will change. But even though their physical intimacy might have changed, this chapter shows us strongly that their relational intimacy hasn't changed. If anything, they love each other more at this point in their life, not less. If you look at the end of the song in verse 13, the husband repeats his youthful desire. If you remember back in chapter 2, verse uh, um, uh, 14, he said that he wanted to listen to the voice of his beloved. And he, and he recalls that now in verse 13, O you who dwell in the gardens with companions, listening for your voice, let me hear it. He's looking back to his youthful desires and repeating it here. And then right at the end in verse 14, she says, Make haste, my beloved, and be like a gazelle or a young stag on the mountains of spices. And she's repeating her youthful desires from chapter 2, verse 9. She wants her husband still to pursue her. And if we look at that central part of the poem in verse 6 and verse 7, the strong description of their love and strength of love that they have, it's clear that even though their physical intimacy might have changed, their relational intimacy hasn't. And something really helpful for us to learn here, folks, both of, uh, for those of us who are married and those of us who desire to marry, and for those of us who God has gifted to speak into marriages in the church, there's something really helpful for us to see here, and it's this. Healthy marriages aren't sustained by sex. They're sustained by covenantal love. Healthy marriages aren't sustained by sex. They're sustained by covenantal love. We've already shared from earlier in the song that sex is a gift from God. It's a gift from him, a good gift, to be enjoyed within the safe boundaries of marriage between a man and a woman. And we get that warning again. Look down at at verse with me we've heard this warning three times already in the song and just in case we missed it the first time and the second time we hear it again don't awaken love until it's the right time 
save sex, save physical intimacy for marriage. When you are married, for as long as you are physically able, we've already said that that it should be regularly enjoyed. But there will come a time when our desires for physical intimacy change. And when they do, folks, that isn't a sign that your marriage is weak. It isn't a sign that your marriage is waning. It isn't a sign that your marriage is over. Unfortunately, that's so often what we see in the world, that, that, when, that when physical intimacy runs dry, that people tap out and they go and try and fulfill their desires elsewhere. But that isn't how Christian marriage works, folks. When that time comes, which biologically and physically it will come, practically for those of us who are married, talk to each other. Tell each other how you're feeling. Because if we don't, resentment can quickly creep in. And the, the enemy, Satan, loves that. He loves to get footholds in marriages. Don't let him. Don't let him. Remove his foothold. Talk to each other. Talk to one another. Listen to one another. And bring your difficulties, bring your frustrations to the Lord in prayer. And typically, folks, it's helpful for us to know, typically these physical changes happen first with women before they do with men. So husbands, let me speak directly to us. Be sensitive, be gentle, be loving, and be patient with our wives. Walk it together and bring your frustrations to the Lord. But, but don't let the lack of physical intimacy stifle your love. It's clear in their old age here in chapter 8, these two are still pursuing each other. And their love is continuing to grow. They still desire intimacy. It just looks, it just looks different. Remember back in chapter 3 when uh, the bride was approaching for her wedding day. And she, she draws towards her husband. And then the narrator back in chapter 3 is looking to the bride coming and he, he asks the question, who is that coming out of the wilderness? And we saw the young bride coming to her husband full of energy, full of enthusiasm, full of, of excitement and acceleration, waiting for her wedding day. And now we hear those same words spoke again by the bride in verse 5. Who is that coming up from the wilderness? But it's a different picture now. Who is that coming up from the wilderness? Leaning on her beloved, she says. What a beautiful picture. This couple now, older in age, they lean on one another. For her, there is an acceptance of, of a, a weakness and a physical strength being taken away from her. And now she is leaning into her husband. You know, I've shared this before with you, but Elizabeth and I quite like to watch people. People watch. It's not weird. We all do it. And uh, particularly, we, we love it when we see that older couple. We all know the one, one I mean, the older couple who are just madly in love. And they're, they're holding hands and they're, and they're cuddling and they're swooning over each other. Like maybe our grandparents might be these type of people. And they say things that always make us cringe a little bit. Like the, you know, the husband and their wife just pouring affections onto one another. Husbands and wives, we should aspire to that. Have a long-term plan for your marriage. Don't look at the difficulties and the, the differences in your marriage here and, and let them define your marriage. 
Don't, don't think that your marriage is identified by the, the struggles that you are working through now. Have the last day of your marriage in view. Pour into your marriage and bring your difficulties to the Lord. And work together with him to grow old, tired, weak, but deeply in love with one another on that last day. And don't let physical intimacy dictate your love. Marriage is more than sex. It is a lifelong promise, a lifelong covenant to love. Husbands and wives on wedding days will say that they promise to love for better, for worse, in sickness and in health, richer and poorer, until death separates you. And there's one last piece of wisdom here for our human relationships in chapter eight, and it's this. The marriages in this room, the marriages in Liberty Church, we need this church. In particular, the marriages in this church need older married folks or or older unmarried folks to pour into their marriages. And if that's you this afternoon, you have a vital ministry in this church vital ministry towards those who are younger in their marriage. Elizabeth and I have done this with a few people. We've given open access into our marriage to a few older people, not necessarily married. Some of them are single and they they have open access to speak into our marriage. And that means sometimes as a husband, I get told off by them because I'm not doing things rightly for Elizabeth. It means sometimes they ask us difficult questions, but our marriage is stronger for it. If you look at verse 8 and 9 here of chapter 8, you get this kind of consultation going on between a group who have a young sister. And this, this young lady, she's moving towards marriage at Sunday, and they come to the wife in the song for advice. They say, what shall we do for our sister on the day when she is spoken for? And the, the woman goes on to reflect back on her own marriage and she shares her wisdom with this group. She shares her wisdom on behalf of this young lady. Brothers and sisters, we need that here. We need that in Liberty Church. We need those who are seasoned and have observed marriages to pour into the marriages of this church. If that is you, if you've been in a Christian marriage for a while, or you're a Christian and you've observed Christian marriages, can I encourage you, Please move forward, step forward towards younger married couples here. And if you can't do that, if you're thinking, ah, I just, I don't know, I don't feel, I don't feel I've got wisdom to share or I'm a little bit nervous getting alongside younger people, then, then please, 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 at the very least, would you pray for them? Would you see the younger marriages in our church and would you commit to pray for them? But if you can, move towards them. And encourage them. Older men, get alongside the younger husbands in this church. Listen to them. Ask them honest questions. Lead them with scripture towards being a godly husband. Older ladies, get alongside the younger wives in this church and engage in a Titus 2 type ministry with them. Step in, pray for them, share godly wisdom. And help shape their marriage to be one that looks like them growing old and still growing in love for one another. Growing old and still growing in love. 
And folks, that is the same goal that we have for our own relationships with Christ. That's what we want for our marriages. But it is really what we want for our relationship with Jesus. As we mature in the Christian faith, as we grow older in our Christian faith, we want to grow in our love for Jesus. And that's where we get to in the central part of the song in verses 6 and 7. Let me just read it again for us. Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm. For love is strong as death, jealousy as fierce as the grave. It's flashes of flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it. If a man offered for love all the wealth of his house, he would be utterly despised. These verses here, verse 6 and 7, they reinforce that growth of love in marriage. But they also speak so powerfully about the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's just work through them one at a time. Verse 6, this is the first picture we get. She says to her husband, set me as a seal on your heart. Now a seal for them, that was a mark of possession, a mark of, of exclusivity. Some of you know that I, I like to write letters, like handwritten letters. And a few years ago, um, some of you bought me a stamp, like an old-fashioned wax stamp. You know what I mean? Where you, you melt the candle on it, and these guys have bought me one with my initials on it, and you could press uh, my initials into the back of the envelope. And the people who I really love in the church um, get a, an envelope with the stamp on it, the kids. I don't do it to any of the adults. The kids get the one with the stamp on it. And when they get that letter, um, they know that it's from me. It belongs to me. It's identified with me. It's a letter that comes with my mark. And as she says, set me as a seal on your heart. She is saying, I want to be identified with you. I I want your affection. I, I want to be so close to you. The heart was the closest part of the person. And she says, I want to be identified with you. Set me as a seal on your heart. Set me as a seal on your arm, she goes on to say. And throughout scripture, we see that the arm is a place of strength. It's a place of protection. And she is saying that that I want to find my strength in you. I want to find my protection in you. Set me as a seal on your arm for love is strong as death. That's an interesting phrase, isn't it? Love is strong as death. What does she mean by that? Well, think about death. Once it has a hold on you, it's got you. And there's no turning back. You cannot escape death. Okay? People have tried. But once it has you, it has you. And the picture here is that, is that his love for her is strong, but it's also relentless and it's unyielding. It will never let her go. And she goes on to say it is a jealous love. A jealous love as fierce as the grave. Again, once you're in the grave, you are not coming out. It holds you and it keeps you. And it does not give you back. And quite often when we think of jealousy, we think of it in the negative, don't we? And there is a a wrong way to be jealous, but there is also a right way to be jealous. Like I think about my... About my kids, I have a jealous love for them. When I pick them up at the school gates, I'm taking them home. They belong to me. They're my possession. I don't just let any old bod take my kids home. Like if they came out of the school gates and they saw someone else's parents and they, they went off with them, like it would break my heart. 
I'm jealous for their love. I don't want to let them go. I don't want them to go with another. They're mine. I want them to receive my love and I want to receive their love. And so I'm jealous for them. And folks, I hope as we're working through these two verses here, I hope that we can see where this, le- where this picture is pointing us, where the picture is leading us. It is encouraging a strong covenantal love in marriage, but more than that, is it, it is pointing to the strength of the covenantal love that we receive from Christ. God is a jealous God. We read in Exodus 34, verse 34, 14, if you know the Exodus story, you know that, that the, the Lord leads his people out of slavery. And as he leads them out, he makes covenant with them. And he says this to his people. He says, you shall worship no other God. For the Lord whose name is jealous is a jealous God. He's saying, you are my possession. You are my people. You belong to me. I don't want you to go off with another God. I don't want you to walk and wander with someone else. I am jealous for your love and I am jealous for you to love me. And so when we go back to verse 6 and we apply this to the love that Christ shows us, we see the strength or we begin to see the strength of his love towards us. We go on and see that God's love towards his people, it is as strong as fire. It's flashes of flashes of fire. The very flame of the Lord. I don't know whether you've noticed, but God's name hasn't been mentioned so far in the song. This is the first and only time the Lord's name is mentioned in the song. And what we see is that his love is like fire. And fire can be devastating, can't it? But it can also be immensely powerful when it is controlled. Verse 7, many waters cannot quench love. Neither can floods drown it. God's love is powerful like a raging fire. So powerful, so, so powerful that mighty floods cannot extinguish it. Just think of the, the pictures that we see on the news of wildfires in places like California and out in Australia. And we have that picture of the, 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 um, the plane coming and kind of scooping up water and then dropping water over the fire. You know the one? That's how we put out fires. That's how we put out wildfires, big fires. We pour lots of water on it. And the song is showing us that even a mighty flood cannot quench the power that the Lord has for us in his love. Many waters cannot quench it. And finally, in verse 7, God's love for his people is priceless. If a man offered for love all the wealth of his house, he would be utterly despised. God's love is priceless. You cannot buy it. Each of these pictures in these two verses here, they are all pointing beyond human marriage. They are pointing to the unquenchable, unbreakable love that God's people find in Christ. Verse 6 and 7, I hope you see this, they cannot just be about human love. We know that because these pictures fall apart when we try and apply them in a human marriage. Death does break the union of love made in human marriage. That's why when we stand before God and we stand before our friends and family on, on that wedding day, we say uh, that we commit to these promises until death do us part. Marriage is a husband and wife becoming one flesh, not one spirit. One flesh which eventually will be buried in the grave. And it's heartbreaking to imagine. We often spend time just crying when we when we think about this day that will come one day but one day our marital union will be swallowed up by the grave 
One day if you are married, your marital union will be quenched by the chaotic waters of death. Death will bring an end to earthly marriage. But Christ's love, Christ's love for his people will endure. It will endure. When he saved us, Christ united us into a spiritual union. Not a fleshly union, a spiritual union, a union that endures beyond death. And after his death and resurrection, or or, or at his death and resurrection, we are given all the proof that we need that he loves us and his love is stronger than death. We have all the evidence, all of the assurance that we need as we look at Christ's death and his resurrection, that he indeed loves his people and his love is stronger than death. The Bible tells us that in love, Jesus lived the perfect life that we couldn't live. It tells us that in love, Jesus offered his life as a substitutionary atonement for the sins of all, this, for all of God's people. Full and final payment for our sins. The Bible tells us in love, the Lord Jesus Christ was falsely accused for us. In love, his body was flogged and scourged for us. In love, he was nailed to a cross for us. In love, he was mocked for us. In love, he was pierced for us. In love, he cried out to the Father, forgive them for us. In love, the Lord Jesus Christ died for us. But then he rose again. Death conspired to defeat him, and it couldn't. The grave conspired to hold him, and it couldn't. The chaotic waters of death conspired to quench him, but they couldn't. And now he indwells in his people with the unquenchable flame of his Holy Spirit. There is nothing stronger than the covenantal love of Christ. And the Bible also tells us this in Romans 8 Verse 38 and 39, the Apostle Paul says this, For I am sure, and we can take this for us, we can be sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The power of Christ's love goes beyond the grave. It continues to burn for all his people, for all eternity. And nothing, nothing can separate us from his love. No sin, no struggle, no brokenness in the world. Nothing that we can engage with, not not even death can separate us from the love of Christ. And that is great news for us. How do we respond to that? How do we respond to the reality of the strength and the power of the love of Christ towards his people? As we close, I think that last picture of the wife leaning into her husband, I think that helps us. It helps us to understand what it looks like for us to mature in the Christian faith. I think for us as we grow, the trajectory looks increasingly like us firstly recognising our weakness, And then leaning into Christ. And then as the wife does, looking to that last day. Recognising our weakness, leaning into Christ and looking to the last day. Well, firstly, recognise your weakness. And primarily and most urgently, 
recognize your weakness in view of salvation. Recognize that death is coming. And for those who haven't put their faith in Jesus, eternal judgment for your sin is coming to you on the other side. Recognize, and don't delay, recognize this afternoon that your only hope for salvation is to put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation from your sin and salvation into eternal life with him. Don't delay. Recognize your weakness to save yourself and put your faith in Jesus. But for the Christian, we don't graduate from that. You know, when we become Christians, we don't, we don't suddenly become strong in ourselves. No, we are still weak. And every day it is a good habit and a good thing to recognize our weakness. I encourage you, brother and sister, be humble enough to admit that you cannot defeat your sin in your own strength. Be humble enough to admit that you cannot become righteous in your own strength. You cannot become wise. You cannot become Christ-like in your singleness, Christ-like as a husband, Christ-like as a wife. Recognize your weakness. And as you do, lean into Christ. Lean into Christ. You know, every single person in this world at some point will recognize their weakness. And the gift that we have in being in relationship to Christ is that we don't have to compensate for that weakness. We don't have to try and cover it up. We don't have to try and find a way to become stronger. No, we just get to come to Jesus and we just get to lean on him who is strong. What a gift that is. We get to lean on him who is stronger. Folks, if this song has taught us anything, it is that Jesus is better. Jesus is better than than us trying to make it on our own. Jesus is better than anything the world can offer. And we get the gift, brothers and sisters, of coming to him with our weakness and leaning fully on him who is better, who is stronger. Just like the wife does here with her husband. So let me encourage you, brother and sister, and embrace your weakness. Don't push it away. Embrace your weakness and find your strength in Jesus. Practically, that means bringing your fears, bringing your anxieties to him in prayer. Do that daily. Bring those things to him in prayer and hear his voice. Allow him to strengthen you by his spirit in his word. Come to him and listen to him daily in his word. And also, come here. Every time we take this meal, every time we hold the bread and we hold the cup in our hands, it is a tangible opportunity to lean into Christ. That's why we take it every week. Because by the time we get here on a Sunday, we, we're so aware of our weakness again because of the difficulty of the week that we've had. Engaging with sin and engaging with the brokenness of the world. Like we come in through these doors knowing that we are weak and knowing that we need his strength. And as we come to this table and as we hold on to the bread and we hold on to the cup, we are drawn towards the gospel. Our eyes are lifted to see the cross. Our eyes are are lifted and our hearts are reminded to see that Jesus is better, that he is stronger. We get to lean into Christ with our weakness, knowing he is our strength, knowing that he is our refuge, knowing 
as we take this meal that he is our living hope. Friends, Christ promises to supply all of our needs. But firstly, we need to recognize that we're needy. And then we need to come to him and lean on him for him to supply us with his strength. Recognize your weakness. Lean into Christ. And then lastly, look to the last day. Look to the last day. Just as a healthy marriage has the has the end in view, has the last day in view, in the same way a healthy Christian has the last day in view. Except in the Christian life, our last day here is just the entrance into a glorious eternity with Jesus. What a hopeful eternal future we have laid up before us. An eternity where we will no longer struggle to be faithful husbands and be faithful wives. An eternity where all of our desires for intimacy will be fulfilled fully and completely and perfectly in Christ. An eternity where all of the heartbreak of broken marriage will be lifted off of us. An eternity where temptation will be gone, sin will be no more. And finally, we will be complete in Christ. Brothers and sisters, live with that day in view. Recognize your weakness. Lean into Christ, who is the faithful husband to his church. And look to the last day. And as you do, with those longings in your heart for that last day, allow those longings to stir your affections all the more for our faithful husband, Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you for this book. Thank you that it has been a a gift to us. Thank you for how you've taught us through it. You've trained us and you've led us to see what it is to to live this life that you've given us well here, but also to to love our Saviour all the more. We thank you for the powerful picture that we've been presented with of your love towards your people, shown to us through your Son, Jesus, and as we look to you, Jesus, we need you. We are weak. We are broken. And so in our weakness, we ask that you would teach us more and more what it looks like for us to lean on you. More and more what it is to recognize our weakness. More and more what it is to come to you and find strength. And as we do, Lord Jesus, train our hearts to look and to long for the last day. Thank you that you have set eternity ahead of your people as a place where we will be able to live with you and love as we ought and and where we can live with you in a place that no desire will be unfulfilled. And so Jesus, we look to that day with hope in our hearts. We love you, Jesus. Pray that you continue to help us understand what that means and what that looks like and help us to grow all the more in our love for you. It's in your name that we pray.